Association and IndieBirth.com. No material on this podcast should be considered medical advice. Birth is not a medical event. Welcome to IndieBirth's series of podcasts, Taking Back Birth. Hi, Marin here today with an interview I recorded with midwife Carrie Adams in Australia. So Carrie and I got on Zoom, which is video conference, and we just immediately began chatting. Uh, Obviously, as two midwives, we had so much we could talk about, even though we were meeting for the very first time. So um, the interview sort of starts in a funny way, just because we had already been talking. But I asked Carrie to just start telling us about who she was and what her story was in the past uh, that brought her to this point in midwifery and wanting to make lots of changes. So enjoy this interview. And like I said, you'll just hear Carrie jump right in with some of her past and we'll get right to talking about midwifery in Australia and lots of other fun stuff. Hope you enjoy. So what happened for me, like I, my upbringing was quite um, a little bit checkered, I would say, in that it was stable in one way in that I had a family structure. Like I had a stepfather that came into my life when I was three and I had the same parents all my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, there's certainly uh, was some abandonment issues there, I reckon, from my dad leaving. Um, but my stepfather was actually quite tyrannical and quite cruel. And so I, I grew up in this, um, yeah, life where I was kind of dumbed down and my voice wasn't important. So that's, that's where I've always come from and always, you know, being told to keep quiet and, and what goes on within these four walls does not go out of the house that was very much our lives and there was domestic violence and um, yeah, it was, it was quite hectic um, growing up, but there was always this part of me, like even when the first time I met this guy um, of like, I knew uh, intuitively that I didn't like him and that it was not, he was not a safe person and that just continued throughout my life and then as I got older I was cooking up plans of how I was going to leave home from a very young age of like how that was going to take place and then my hand was forced because I met um my now my ex-husband but he was um half Burmese so he had an English mother and a Burmese father my stepfather was very racist and I was pushed out the house basically and it was probably the biggest favor I was ever given you know Dan came into my life and was a bit like the rescuer at the time and it's what I really needed so um but some good things did happen like my mum had a baby when I was 12 I had uh, three siblings but the youngest um, came along when I was 12 and I asked if I could be at the birth and my mum was very open to that so I went along it was an induction for essential hypertension and now that I know a bit more about the story and um the only thing was I was a bit frightened when she started uh, pushing the baby out. I had to go out the room but because it was her fourth baby. It happened in like two minutes. <laughs> um, but that kind of um, set up the idea of that I would like to be a midwife. And, um, you know, I went back, in, I was in school and then I carried on and then I ended up being a nurse first because my mother was a nurse and she thought that would be 
the right path to take, go into nursing and then become a midwife. Right. I mean, looking back now, the nursing part was fun, but I don't necessarily think I needed that to be a midwife, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I ended up in midwifery, but funnily enough, I didn't really like it once I got there. Um, and I don't, it wasn't the actual work. It was the culture that was around it. And, um, yeah, I felt very sort of um, dumbed down and spoken down to and disrespected. Um, but I, I battled it because I just felt like if I just gave it a year or two and really got into it that I would prove my worth and I would I would be fine. And I really wanted to work with women and babies. So, um I battled that for a couple of years in the UK and then I came to Australia, um, which then caused another sort of juncture of like, oh, it's so different in Australia in comparison to the UK where midwifery garners a little bit more respect over there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in comparison. And there was private obstetrics here, which I'd never come across before. Um, So handing over women to a private obstetrician felt very alien to me and I couldn't understand why women were going mostly to a man to have a baby. Like, I was like, what are you doing? Like, you right. know, and why am I calling this guy to walk in when the head's half out the vagina? Like, I don't That's really a question. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that was quite um, alien to me. And I, was, I kept getting into trouble in the beginning for not making the call early enough because I kept forgetting that <laughs> I was supposed to call someone. <laughs> That they were needed, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and they'd paid for that service. So, <laughs> so yeah, so I always um, have felt throughout my time in the system that um, women always had it in them, that I wasn't ever really stepping into my full for- like force as a midwife. Mm-hmm. Um, and that we were kept dumbed down. And also you had to kind of play a game of, fitting into the culture so on a shift like you know going along with the jokes and the and the feeling of what what key players in the staff were doing Mm -hmm. but um kind of doing some covert midwifery as well like being in your room knowing a woman's fully dilated but not telling anyone until they absolutely need to know so that you give her the maximum amount of time so they're not put on the timeline, you know, doing this kind of stuff, like undercover kind of work. <laughs> yeah, I was listening to your YouTube video that you have on yeah. your site, uh, which will give people the address at the end probably. But um, mm. yeah, I liked how you were talking about working in spite of the system. Yeah. It felt to you and yeah, so... What about that? Yeah, so um, so the the thing is that um, the system's always going to be there and we can't have, like, midwives leaving in droves. I mean, I'm not working in clinical practice at the moment. I'm on maternity leave. But I, f- I feel like I've got this wider sort of job to do. Like, you know, I can go there and be the midwife in the birth suite that um, does the best I can with you know, all the traditional techniques within the confines of policies and procedures um, and keep being the, what I will call in England, we call them bouncers, but the security on the door of saying, you know, keep out my room, you know, that kind of thing. 
but um it kind of wears you down and um mm-hmm. to keep coming back with that voice and that confidence but i i feel like there's that there is a majority of midwives that feel the same and we need to up level them so that they can keep going back into that place and if if that majority comes together as a stronger force and a stronger voice and that could become the new norm you know because i really feel like what's going on in midwifery is there is a minority that swing it in the way of um swing it their way like there's this um click you need to fit into um you've got to prove yourself as a good midwife and a good midwife you know um plots on the graph and she informs everybody exactly what's going on in her room at all times you know playing the good girl um and and basically does as she's told um and you know if you don't fit into that club you're kind of an outcast but i want i kind of want to swing the balance the other way so that there's a new type of good midwife you know the one that's really um doing it for the women and not trying to fit into some other mold. Um, Yeah. Well, I feel like it's easy to see perhaps when you're not in it, of course, like a lot of things that what's being asked of the midwives in that situation. And of course here in the U S in many ways um, is that we're asking them to not be autonomous Mm. and we're hoping as midwives that these birthing women can have autonomy. And I find that to be a huge dissonance and conflict, right? So isn't it like true that the way the midwives are being treated, the women are also being treated in birth by the system, right? We're supposed to be quiet, not make waves. Um, So what do we do with that? Like when we keep going round and round and these midwives have the best of intentions and, as you've expressed, you know, spent many years in training and wanting to be with women. And we're basically all being told to be quiet. You know, it's like women in general are not uh, experiencing autonomy in these birth, you know, birth scenarios. No, and they're actually, you know, they're having it um, as soon as they walk through the door, it's actually being taken away. And, you know, and in midwifery, we talk about the, the biggest thing that we talk about is, oh, I'm an advocate for the woman. And then the, the International Midwives Day was we're the defender of women's rights. I actually abhorred that. I was like, yeah. no, we're not. <laughs> like, show me. Like, show me. I mean, we are in theory, but actually we've kind of lost that advocacy and defender of women's rights because we're not, we're not standing up to the, stepping up to the plate. And something has to change because you can't actually like people say, Oh, uh, well, yeah, but if I do that, it's rocking the boat or, um, if we go up against it, we might, I don't know, get reported or whatever, but can you honestly get reported for an opinion? Can you honestly get reported for standing up and saying, well, this woman doesn't want that. And I'm happy to support her in her decision. And I'll write that down. She's made the decision. Right. You know, um, so I, I don't know where this fear has come from, but we've been pushed into a corner somehow 
and um, we just have this real fear of speaking up. But I, I, I think like the more and more I delve into it, it's like a history of yeah. fear of speaking yeah. up. And, it, and it's not just pertinent to midwifery, it's women in general, I think, I feel. Yeah, yeah, I feel that as well. It's, um, it's really, really deep. And as you say, working on your confidence and whatever else goes along with that and realizing that, you know, there's still little parts holding on, I think, even within those of us that are speaking out um, mm -hmm. of fear, you know, of being too much or too loud or, uh, you know, even by our, our peers. I mean, certainly midwives are not on the same page no, with this issue, you know, whether it's in Australia or certainly here, the most divide is between this idea of, you know, licensing or regulation um, or not licensing or, you know, and, and I just get to the point where I don't even think it's a midwifery issue anymore. It's a human rights issue. And, a, and the fact that women, the birthing women need to be wise to how they are losing what is important or should be important to them, um, which is the right to choose, you know, who and where and when and what. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And we're just kind of watching it saying, you know, help, we're in it too. You know, midwives aren't autonomous either. Yeah, yeah. It, it's so true. I mean, even this week I, I came under attack by actually midwives that I know. So, I, you know, it's like that big brother thing, mm -hmm. isn't it? We're, we're constantly being watched, especially when you start to do something a little bit out of the, out of the norm. Right. Um, and try to make an obvious change, which then people start to feel threatened because a lot of people are comfortable with where it's at because they found their niche and they found their place. Doesn't necessarily mean it's right for the women that they see, but they're okay with where they're at at work. Um, but you know, there's a there's this other contingency of us that's not okay with that because um, we're all playing a role in the problem. Right. You know. Right. I, um, you've, different midwives are playing different roles. Some of us are passively playing the role in part of the problem. Some of us are actively playing the role um, in creating the problem. So um, quite often the ones that are quite active in this um, are wanting to stay where they are because they've got a place in the hierarchy of midwifery, I feel. And yeah, I just don't understand how the real foundations of midwifery fit with those principles, you know, do you ever just struggle to understand that? Because that's, you know, the patriarchal system of I'm, I know more than you, I'm better than you, I'm above you. And women are doing this to women and not yeah. seeing that it's no different. Like we're saying, you know, don't listen to a doctor or seek another opinion or, Oh, he's just an OB, but here we are. Uh, as midwives, many, you know, acting like they know more or better. And yeah. like you say, feeling fine with their position, like that's just where they want to be. And that's the part that I have some days the hardest time with, because where is that deep connection to being a woman and to owning your body and your choices? Like, where does that go? I know, exactly. And, um, and also like where that influences women's choices as well, you know, like, um, like 
this is just one example, like an educator that I know always used to say, um, or after everything that I've seen, I'm, I'm going to choose an elective cesarean section. Like, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with, it's about women's choice, but if you're working in a birth suite, trying to empower women to birth vaginally, and you're the educator there, right. how does that, where does that fit? Like you're, you're, you're choosing from a place of fear. So then that's going to infiltrate through the staff and through the women and, and, in, and influence that choice too. So yeah, I, don't, I just find it a really unusual um, sort of place to come from, especially when I have this like deep, um, it's just like a deep knowing of what, what a woman is capable of. You know, and you know, you've seen it yourself when you sit there and you watch a woman in labor and you, it gives, it gives me goosebumps. I can always like cry. <laughs> watch her. Yeah. And I can think of one particular woman sat on this um, birth ball and with the sunlight shining on her through the window and just like, holy crap, like she's amazing, like totally capable, totally can do this. And all women are it's just that we're making them doubt themselves you know yeah yeah we're making it hard yeah but having that reconnection is so important for us obviously to pass on and not just that but coming from this place of principle that birth is normal yeah and, you know best left alone in most situations and I think that's you know that's what's not happening in the system that I struggle personally with trying to change because um, I'm not sure some days that that's attainable you know yeah. to change the foundation on which it's built because I think most people feel that it's not the people per se right like they're all trying to do what they think is right in the way that they think is right uh, or care about women. But when a system is built on this idea that birth is a disaster, like where do we take it from there? That's, I've never found, I don't know the answer. Where? I don't, even in the park yesterday, I was, um, one of the children was being looked after by um, a nanny because her, her mother has just given birth. So they've employed a nanny for a few weeks just to help out. And the, the nanny's never had children, but she said, oh, oh, yes, childbirth is one of the most dangerous journeys a woman can take. I was like, holy moly, someone actually just said that to my face. She like, said that to you. <laughs> Did she know you're a midwife? She didn't know me. I was like, <laughs> oh, man. I just find it really shocking. And this, right. this woman actually grew up on a farm, so she would have seen sure. hundreds of animals <laughs> giving birth. But that's how deep it is. Yeah. That's how deep it is. It's like this cultural mm belief that is unconscious in so many ways like I wonder if she even thought what that meant to her or you know had experiences to back that up it's just like that came from somewhere <laughs> that's right and even when I was um I was having a v-back with my second child and when people were saying oh you'll have your date won't you you've booked in I'm like no I don't have a date because I'm I'm going to give birth vaginally you know and they're like oh you're brave I didn't yeah. really see it as brave. I just saw it as my right, <laughs> right. to just do that, you know? Yeah, I'd love to hear more about 
your two births as well, because I'm guessing that those experiences have really shifted your perspective in this deep way, you know, so much that you want to speak out and make these changes. So yeah, yeah, um, definitely. I mean, with see, I, I'm really into the yoga side of things. So my pregnancy with Sunny was spent very much like on the mat in the morning. I didn't have any other children. So I'd be there for two hours, just like, Mm. Um, feeling very miraculous <laughs> I was growing a human and that was just like the walking sort of she goddess like you know, um, I used to walk down the street just in with this like smugness of like I'm growing a human like this, <laughs> yeah. <you> know, like, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so I just kind of I had this I think I had a little bit of arrogance in that one, I was a midwife and two, I was a yogi and I was just going to give birth um, with this complete knowing of what, exactly what I was doing <laughs> with, you know, the candles and the, and the water and the bath and, and that's what I was going to get. Like mm. that, that was it. And, and were you I, planning, hmm? sorry, were you planning a hospital birth or what, what was your plan? Yeah. So I had this, um, I was like the the happy medium. I lived down the road from the hospital, but I lived in a block of apartments and I kind of felt a bit uncomfortable with screaming and wailing in this block of apartments. Mm -hmm. So I booked in at the birth center. Um, and it was a really tricky choice because I worked there. So even then I was having these thoughts and feelings of what do I do for the best? Because um, a lot of my opinions are a little are different to um, the core midwife staff there and how am I going to manage this like I was never going to vaccinate my child immediately if at all like I wanted this natural birth and I didn't want people coming in my room and disturbing me um like I, I had a lot of you know different I was a different style I guess of midwife and I was very pro-choice rather than anti this or anti that so I booked in at the birth center knowing that I would get a more um, non-judgmental sort of opinion when I went in there for appointments. But what that meant was I got, I had a different midwife every time. So I didn't actually, I didn't really actually put value on the one-to-one -one midwifery thing as strongly as I did after that experience. Cause I never really got to know mm. anybody in particular. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah, it was huge. And, um, but I did actually manifest the two midwives that I wanted at the birth. They were, they were there. It's really crazy that, that, that I did that. Um, anyway, what happened was I did go into labor and it was all very serene and whatever. And then, um, it was, it was harder than I thought it was going to be. And when I got to the hospital, I thought I would be further along than I actually was. Yeah. Um, but I was working hard and, you know, I was going in the bath and everything, but I, I got to seven centimeters by myself and I kept staying at seven and staying at seven and staying at seven and just not really progressing from there. And I had this real um, pain in my hips when the surge came. So, and it was, it was really excruciating for me, like, you know, um, so then I ended up being transferred to the labor ward, had an epidural very quickly got to fully dilated and um, they put oxytocin up but I 
I was already fully dilated before that happened. I just could feel it and I knew. Um, and then he was asynclitic and wedged really in the pelvis. So um, at that, it was too late to try anything else to move him at that point because he was so low down. So um, they offered me, um, we could do forceps, but we're not confident. I was like, mm, <laughs> I don't think... I don't think this is a choice for me. I think I have to go to theatre and have a cesarean. So yeah. that's what I chose. Um, but I, I felt very much like I hadn't completed my journey um, yeah. and that I'd failed. It wasn't particularly a failure for me, but I really felt like I'd failed Sonny, my child, yeah. that I hadn't yeah. given him the birth that I thought he deserved. Um, and that spiralled out of control into a lack of confidence as parenting him, being a mother to him. He cried a lot so I, and I didn't know what to do for him. Um, and that just that first year of motherhood for me was quite fraught. Um, I didn't really feel like anyone understood um, what I was going through. Um, yeah, and I just, I, did, I didn't feel like I'd given him anything like this, birth, the microbiome, all the things that right, I All the things you know, right? Yeah, all the things I know. I just didn't feel like he, yeah. he got that. Um, so, um, and, he, and, he, and also in my eyes, he was a poor sleeper, like between around this time, around the eight month time, which I am in with Bodhi at the moment, um, he just woke up every hour, like, and I had no help. And it just yeah. was compounding. So yeah. yeah, so draining. Um, so that, like, the crying and then he got a bit better and then he started waking up all the time. I just constantly felt like I was failing and not doing what society said babies did. Yeah. And even now someone will say, oh, oh but Bodhi acts like a more normal baby because he sleeps a bit better. I'm like, but yeah. I know Sonny was his own version of normal. Like, you know, this is the kind of non-supportive comments you kind of get about your children sometimes. Yeah, that's a warped view, I feel like, how babies should behave and uh, how they sleep and what normal parents do, but certainly yeah. hard to be drained when it is difficult and things yeah. aren't like you think they'll be or whatever. That's right. I mean, I spent some time trying to get Sonny to sleep in a, in a cot. <laughs> yeah. Wow, he's now right. in a cot, but he still sleeps with me, so it's kind of like... <laughs> You know, once you actually give in to the signals and the signs, right. it gets easier. Like right. when you do that, I'll just do what he needs and then you get what you need to at the same, you know, same time. Yeah, it's that deeper connection that we were talking about with yeah. birth. You know, it's the same. And it doesn't mean it's easy and it doesn't mean you don't try a million other things, but it's that surrender to what you really do know, you, you know, your child needs or you need somewhere within you. And I also feel like just going back to the birth, I don't, I do not feel like I was treated, you know, I have some people say they were spoken to badly by their care providers or I didn't experience any of that. That mm. was not, I, I feel like the staff did the best they could with what they had. Um, sure. But there, for me, there was a real lack of traditional skills or people actually coming to my aid and, Scott and I were left to it, but I feel like there could have been a bit more observation of what was going on and a bit more knowing of, oh, she's got hip pain, what could this mean? Like, sure. you know, 
that kind of thing. So then after all of that, I ended up coming out the other side and then going, so why was my baby asynclitic? What happened for me yeah. that that was the cause? So I went down this path of going looking at spinning babies and yeah. saying, what are all these things that I, you know, midwives could be doing to avoid um, coming to the intervention or try to avoid coming right. to the so I went on that. Live it. <laughs> yeah. And then I started teaching birth education and going, you know, if the midwives don't have the skills, we can give the skills to support people and, um, you know, and, and steering women in the direction of like, if you, if you need a doula, I know a doula because um, if the midwives aren't providing it, who, who else can do that? Yeah. So I went down that little journey and then, I got pregnant with Bodhi as a complete surprise because I actually was in the place of, I don't know if I dare ever do this again. Like, oh, I, that. Yeah, I was quite fearful of traveling the birth journey, but more than that, the postpartum journey mm. was the most scary part for me. So, cause I went to some dark places <laughs> in that, in that time, you know, looking out to ocean and going, if I didn't love this baby so much, I would be in there. Mm. Like I would go. So, um, so then I got pregnant with Bodhi and I was like, Oh, this is, first of all, the, the, the immediate thing was we were so happy about it. So I was like, this is like, well, as soon as we found out, we were like, Oh, this is cool. Actually. Like, you know, yeah. that was the first good sign of like, you know, this is the right path for us as a family. And then um, I took lots of walks on the beach, getting used to the idea of like, oh, you're coming to me and what does this all mean and whatever. And then I was like, what am I going to do about this? I, I have to find out what, I, what do I need to do now so that I get the birth that I want. Like there's mm. some deep work to do here. So mm -hmm. um, I went off and had lots of hypnosis on vicarious trauma mm. so that I could wipe the slate clean and just be a woman and not a midwife in birth. Uh, yeah, that's, that's huge. Yeah, huge. And then I, um, we did some hypnosis on the previous birth of, of being able to let go of that and letting this be just fresh yeah experience and then my own personal hypnosis on um what did i want from this birth and how i was going to visualize that happening and then um i couldn't see myself going through the system and i knew i wanted one one-to-one -one midwifery care that that was the ultimate i was not going to back down off that and i was also going to try and have a home birth as well because I got, you know, I knew all the signs. My body could get to fully dilated. Did mm -hmm. that together, like that, it was all possible. Like my body knew what to do. What's the general? What's the like midwifery stance there in Australia on on VBAX or home birth for people that maybe don't know, and um, I don't know fully either. Yeah, I feel like. Um, I think there's a real, um, I think midwives really believe in VBAC, not necessarily at home birth. Yeah. Are there I home birth midwives? Yeah. So the home birth midwives, um, I, I feel like they believe a VBAC is totally possible at home. 
but they are scared to take that on because if anything does go wrong, it, you know, it immediately means the registration is going to be challenged. Challenged. Mm, yeah, so similar to around, Yeah, the politics around home birth here is, is very skewed at the moment. Yeah. I personally feel there's a push to get rid of private midwives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't doubt it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hold too much um, power. <laughs> you know, that it's not that outer sort of um, patriarchal power, but it's that inner wisdom and knowing and um, we do oh, so yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So did you find, I, I assume, a home birth midwife or two? I did that- find her. Um, I won't name any names that only people close to me know who she was, but um, yeah. she was very much of the opinion like, yeah, we can try this, but if there's a transfer that we're not going to admit that we tried. Wow. We're just going to admit we were always going to transfer in. So that you know, that's the the place that we find ourselves in. And I, you know, being a midwife, I totally get it. Mm-hmm. And but I, I actually think I manifested the birth exactly how it was meant to be because I did end up being transferred in at nine centimeters because I had meconium lycor. Mm. And she was like, "Oh, I'm not comfortable to deal with this at home. We need to go in." And that was a wild ambulance ride. Can I tell you? <laughs> Yeah. How did you feel about that? How did you feel? I had my last baby was the first of my own personal births um, mm. to have meconium. So I'm yeah. curious how you felt about that. And I was, I was, um, I think because we'd had the conversation before, if there was anything that just wasn't in the what she thought was in the realm of normal, that we would go in. And so I, I just went, okay, that's what we agreed on, and. I, I went in. Um, but the other thing was, Marin, as well, is that um, it was getting really close to the time Sonny was going to wake up for the day. Yeah. And then there was just something in me going, I actually, I, I don't know why, I just don't want him there. Yeah. So it's like this divine timing of 15 minutes before he woke up, I left the house. Like it was just really, yeah. yeah. But then they followed us to the hospital and um, they came in. Um, and he saw me briefly and then, and then they took him out and we've, we've done lots of work on going over that story. He, I have to be a pregnant mom and he has to come in and ask what's happening. And then we go, we go through it. So it's like, we do it every couple of days on his instigation. So he's, he's working on it over. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So then I, I got to the hospital, was fully dilated and had to, um, push Brodie out and that was my hurdle mm. like getting over that psychological barrier of I didn't do it last time right. and I didn't do it this time and my body wasn't giving me much of a choice so that was that was the good thing right. yeah <laughs> like belling this baby out but yeah I was so um I was scared I don't exactly know what I was scared of but I was scared of um, pushing him out so um, the team that were with me were awesome. They they rallied and had like the cheerleading squad, you know, like you can do this, you, you, you've got it, you've got it. And yeah, he was born and then, and I did it. But what was, I thought I was going to be like when he came out, like 
yes, like, oh, but it wasn't, it wasn't like that. It was more like, oh, you're here. And the day developed into this serene kind of feeling rather than, so more at peace feeling than a like super elation kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I felt very, um, close to source that afternoon, like Mm -hmm. alone in the personnel room with just me and my baby and just going, wow, like I've never felt so much space around me. It was pretty amazing. Yeah. And isn't that what it's about? You know, like your mind thinks, like you said, maybe you'd feel more victorious or whatever, but the natural state of things is just that oxytocin high and that, you know, everything that comes with that, um, that isn't really a mind thing, you know, it's, yeah, that's right. It's just like feeling. And um, when we talk about it in yoga and we go like, it's almost like you go, maybe that's your natural state of being almost like you're not, you're not super happy and you're not sad. Like you're just in this like um, calm sort of bliss place. doesn't have extreme emotions you know because you're just being present to that Mm. yeah so I did it um sometimes I I look at it and go well I was only going to have two but (laughs) do I need to do the third one to have a different thing happen like (laughs) you know yeah yeah they're all so different and I agree there is that like you know or can be I guess for some people that addiction in a way Mm. to that feeling and yeah, the sameness and the differentness, I guess, of all the stories. Yeah. And it's, and it's actually, um, I think what was great about embracing Bodhi's birth is it was just really exciting. Mm. Like, yeah, it's coming. Like, yeah, it's just, and looking forward to it. I mean, it's just that all women could look forward to, I know they're looking forward to their baby, but the actual experience of bringing the baby, like Mm. it would be so good if we could change things around so everyone looked forward to that. Yeah, yeah, since people aren't going to stop having babies anytime soon. No, (laughs) definitely not. (laughs) So, you know, how, how did that change you then? Like you've been on this path of speaking up for midwives and that's pretty recent yeah so yeah. Bodhi's birth must have had a lot to do with that I'm guessing yeah I think I think I saw I saw my power and mm. I and I saw um you know almost like you're watching yourself almost a little bit yeah. in labor mm-hmm. I saw my power and I also saw how powerful it was to be one minute having a surge and bring this baby outside, but the next minute being Sonny's mother when the ambulance people turned up and they were like talking really loudly. And I was just looked at them like this, like it must have been like this animalistic woman. And I just like, shh, <laughs> be quiet. My child is sleeping and I'm trying to have a baby here. Like, you know, it was just this real commanding my space. And then coming out of that and going, um, I know there's work I want to do with women. I've been trying to battle with this um, birth education and, and get it fully loaded off the ground. But 
um, that's not been quite working for me. How how can I how can I give this gift that I have I've had with having Bodhi this like real power and like gaining all this confidence that I'd never had before from giving birth to Bodhi. Oh. And then I'm going, how can how can I use this? I want to do something, but I just don't I just don't know what. Um and like I said, I've always been like kept small and and not, you know, being allowed to speak right from a young child. And I, and I was kind of sick of that as well. Like I have a thyroid problem. And if we speak about, um, you know, how this manifests in our bodies, totally. I, I, you know, I could well attribute that to everything that's gone on in my life sort of up until now. So, so then, as, yeah, ask me. No, I was just pondering if, you think it is midwifery. I mean, I don't know. I'm just like thinking, you know, is that the place where women see their power, you know, because it doesn't sound like you had any like huge midwifery influence. I mean, as, as a, you know, another midwife helping you, like you did the work, right? Like you processed your first birth and you did all that inner stuff. And so support is always great. You know, you had people there, I assume, but um, you did that work. Yeah. You know? So like, where does the midwife fit in that picture yeah. of powerful birthing? Yeah. Well, I, I, I feel like from a midwife's point of view of going, well, now I'm sort of fully in my own power. So I can transpire that into anything else that I do. Right. Yeah. You know, it's not to say that I feel confident every second of the day. Like I have these, like when, when people comment negatively on my Instagram and things like that, I have these like real dives <laughs> of going, Oh my God. <laughs> like, I know I feel like I will get bigger and better than that as time yeah. goes on. And I will probably not even look at it like yeah. to a degree. Yeah. But, um, yeah, like how, and this is what I would love to do with midwives is it's not necessarily about going, right, how do we get the strong midwife out of you? It's like, right. how do we get the strength in you Yeah, as a yeah. woman, as a person who we've been, you know, we've been trained over our lifetime to stay small, not speak, be the good girl. We've, we've all, most of us have been in that unless we had very liberal families that lived a different lifestyle. Um, like my children who don't have a TV and don't really know <laughs> what's going on outside of here. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I want to get hold of these midwives and, and take them to a place. I can see it now like this like retreat space and go, let's work on you so yeah. it's like midwifing the midwife so i want to be yeah. with woman with the midwife like yeah. and um and do some really great work i actually don't really know how this is going to take shape at the moment but i know that it feels good and i feel like i cannot tell you how different i am at the moment compared to three years ago like i'm like i'm feeling vivacious and bright and like i i've got something to say and it's okay and it's all of these things and that's how I just know I'm on the right path like my thyroid is in balance right now I have energy my baby wakes up sometimes, <laughs> five, sometimes five times and I don't care it's fine right. like you know right. like 
feel like I've stepped into this like powerful space and I've not been the victim. Yeah, that's so that's so yeah. beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I can see that. I mean, even though we just met and this is our first talk, I can see and feel that this is your truth. And I just love that it happened to come through your births. Um, I think as midwives, we you know both appreciate that when we get to witness women really find themselves or see themselves for the first time in their birth or after however it plays out. Um, Yeah, it's such a beautiful thing because you're right. That's the energy that you take out into the world. And no matter what it is you choose to do, other women see that power reflected um, in you, in themselves. And that's, I think, how we really change things. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I just, I think the other thing about the power is like, like my, my stepfather was like this real massive influence mm. on my childhood. Um, and there was every kind of abuse. I don't mind saying it like emotional, physical, sexual abuse. It all went on in my house. Um, and then to get to this place this year, I've got like going, I, used my woman power I pushed a baby out I've had him I did it in my own way like um you know I, I want to shout it from the rooftops that I I'm just fine I'm okay like I'm I'm a, you know I'm a good person I'm an okay person and um yeah it just it just feels so good to be me right now and I turned 40 this year and, and yeah and actually what is so amazing is I've just stepped into this place and my my stepfather died as well this year. It was oh, really like interesting. really interesting yeah. how it's all kind of taking shape. Yeah, um, that's amazing. Yeah. So there was two things happening at that birth. One was pushing past that pain I'd been caused as a child. Yeah. But one was like. I was just there going and the midwife was going, you've really got to do this now. Like it's been a while, like you've got to do it. And I was like, I'm, in my head I was like, Ina May said <laughs> I would be through with pain after this. And, and that was the moment when he came flying out. <laughs> yeah, there you go. You know, those wise words. Like, yeah. yeah. Wow. So yeah, it's been a, it's, it's been a great journey. And then the, um, I've been watching Angela Gallo very closely for a number of years and just watching her climb the ladder and find herself and do her thing. And um, I made contact with her last year and I was, I was like, I need to do something and it's, and I need to meet you because I need to have this conversation. And, And we've spoken a few times and then she was like, I see this in you. I was like, what? You see what in me? like me talking using my voice are you kidding um and i felt really tempted to talk to her more but then i've gone i know i'm just using her as a crux because she does that it's time for me to step up and and do it yeah yeah step up and step out and yeah i'm thrilled to have gotten to meet you and talk to you. And I don't think I said, or neither of us said that we met on Instagram. I don't even know how this happened. I don't remember who commented first on whose stuff, um, but you should totally follow Carrie on Instagram and read her really fun and insightful and fiery posts. 
Uh, they're some of my favorites to read. And yeah, I just look forward to what's next for you and, you know, maybe some more collaborations down the road as, yes. as people that are, yeah, just trying to live their truth, really. That's about all it adds up to. If we end up changing things, I guess that's a cool thing too. Yeah, and I'd really like to. I haven't started a podcast yet, but um, I'd really like to swing the interview around so that I can interview you a bit more about your your life and how you've got to this place and as well. So, really, yeah, that'd be fun. I mean, it's amazing how many, obviously, how many different stories there are out there. Uh, you know that draws people to midwifery, or mm. or I think more importantly, in this conversation makes us start to question what we've been taught and what we've been in and how we can create something better. Yeah. So um, can you link people to your website? Tell them the address and how to follow you on Instagram and then we'll wrap it up. Yeah. So um, my website um, at the moment is currently, it's just, a, it's an honest blog. Like um, that's all you will find there at the moment, but it's just about um, speaking out. And if any midwives come across that, um, website I'm actually happy to speak out for you you can send me an anonymous letter and I will speak That's the story awesome. yeah. so it's yeah I'll link I'll link this in the podcast notes right but it's carrieadams.com it is yeah and it's carrie with an ie so yes. yeah carrie and then Adams. Instagram is it the same what's your profile on Instagram yeah it's um underscore carrie adams underscore at awesome. the moment yeah, so um, that's where you can find me for now. And then you can watch this journey unfold. <laughs> yeah, we're excited to. Well, thanks so much for being here today. And thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, check the Indie Birth site for more information and IndieBirthMidwiferySchool.org as we do our own part in creating new midwifery in the world. Yeah. Thanks day. so much, Marin, for taking the time. to. You're so welcome. Thank you. Thank you. We'll chat soon.